0: These kinds of interactions are really interesting between the kind of you know uh, Native American peoples who who did get to travel to France, for example, as representatives uh, and spokespeople of Native American tribes and kind of see that other way of life just as the french did you know when they began colonizing the the americas uh and and you know encounter uh indigenous ways of life and indigenous ways of thinking before we do get to that though i did also just want to um quickly follow up on ed's point as well where you know we we mentioned that obviously you know unsurprisingly that the the kind of history of the enlightenment is going to be written in such a way that the colonizers become you know know the, the the brain geniuses uh, coming up with all these ideas on their own rather than simply you know um stealing them or encountering them elsewhere um it is also you know and the, and the uh, grayburn Wingro do not spare their words here when they do also condemn contemporary historians and contemporary philosophers and con- you know contemporary uh, intellectuals and academics who continuously uh, uh reaffirm this very, you know, colonizer-centric, Anglo-centric narrative, as well, by as Ed said, um, you know, uh, dismissing any kind of, uh, even even when the philosophers like Leibniz or or other of these European philosophers and intellectuals say. Actually, we got our ideas from, uh, encountering these other people, from having long intellectual discussions and debates with them, um, rather than accepting that as truth, right? Uh, continuously, um, instead to treating them as sock puppets, right? As, uh, as, as Graeber and Wingro write, historians are aware of all this, yet the overwhelming majority still conclude that even when European authors explicitly say they are borrowing ideas, concepts, and arguments from indigenous thinkers, one should not take them seriously. It's all just supposed to be some kind of misunderstanding, a fabrication, or at best, a naive projection of pre-existing European ideas. American intellectuals, when they appear in European accounts, are assumed to be represented of some western archetype of the noble savage or sock puppets used as plausible alibis uh to an author who might otherwise get into trouble for uh, presenting subversive ideas uh like deism or rational materialism or unconventional views on marriage and you know they go on to say you know that that uh Uh, If nothing else, this habit of thought is very convenient for students of Western literature, themselves trained in, you know, Cicero and Erasmus, who might otherwise be forced to actually try to learn something about what indigenous people thought about the world, and above all, what they made of Europeans, we intend to proceed in the opposite direction. I mean, they do not spare the whip at all for contemporary historians saying, you know, uh, you, you... You hold blame as well for continuously pushing forward this narrative and overlooking uh, a very, you know, large and available uh, history of record and archives of, as, as you were talking about, Ed, all of the different accounts. Of, you know, European missionaries and traders and colonizers and explorers um, encountering uh, these ideas from the indigenous Americans.
1: And I think that then the- as they go on and develop and push, right, someone like, you know, and you quoted Suggard's uh, account, Jeremy, right? You know, this becomes a pretty, you know, influential one because a lot of it ends up raising questions uh, about, you know, what kind of society are the Americans building, right? And what kind of society they value and a lot of it being vitriol for the competitiveness and selfishness and condemnation of the French for their lack of freedom, raising questions about okay, are we not as free? Are we actually just selfish? Are we competitive? Why are they why are they not like this? You know that they they also open up, I think, something that is not that I really didn't consider. Or I don't think I've come across, which is that you know, at the time, no one really debated whether or not Indigenous Americans lived in a freer society than freer in freer societies than Europeans did. What the question that they differed on was whether that's something you want. Do you want liberty, right? Thus, the chapter's title, "Wicked Liberty," right, raising the question of like, is liberty actually something that is desirable for a society? You know, I think that. As they write, when it came to the questions of personal freedom, the equality of men and women, sexual mores, or popular sovereignty, or even for that matter, theories of depth psychology, indigenous American attitudes are likely to be far closer to the reader's own than 17th century Europeans are. And this is truer probably nowhere else than in individual liberty, right? Uh, no one in a modern democracy, as they talk about, would say that they're against freedom in the abstract. This is supposed to be a huge legacy of the Enlightenment, of the American, of the French, of the Haitian revolutions, right? You know, this idea that personal freedom is in of itself a good that doesn't really need to be defended, but should be, right? And that you should be free and that a society should be free to the measure that you're, you're able to be shielded from coercion. And so they talk about how, you know, some of the Jesuits did not believe in this. In 1624, the Jesuit missionary Lejeune wrote of the Montenagos Um he wrote, They imagine that they ought by right of birth to enjoy the liberty of wild-ass colts, rendering no homage to anyone whomsoever except when they like. They have reproached me a hundred times before we fear our captains, because we fear our captains, while they laugh at and make sport of theirs. All their authority all the authority of their chief is in his tongue's end, for he is powerful in so far as he is eloquent, and even if he kills himself talking and haranguing, he will not be obeyed unless he pleases the savages. The idea essentially that you had to convince people, not coerce them to follow you right, and that you could not you know. You could not do so. You could not get, you could not, there was no mechanism to, to compel them. I mean, there might've been some developed later, but that upon contact, right, the Jesuits were aghast at the idea that the French considered them a little better than slaves and that the French thought that you needed to use coercion to, do, you know, to, co- to corral people instead of speaking to them. Uh, in as Father Lallemont noted in uh, an initial Correspondence, right? I do not believe in 1644. I do not believe that there's any people on earth freer than they, and they less able uh, to allow the subjugation of their wills to any power whatever, and so much so that the fathers have no control over their children, or captains over their subjects, the laws of the country over any of them, except insofar as each is pleased to submit to them. There is no punishment which is inflicted on the guilty and no criminal which is not sure that his life and property are in no danger. All of this is a bit batshit to a society that uh, would uh, pull you out of your house and burn you alive or put you inside of a pool and cook you alive if they thought that you one time had a dream that said that you shouldn't have a king.